When setting out to read the Bible cover to cover, we almost always start in Genesis and then move through Exodus and begin to lose steam in Leviticus and Numbers. Ever been there? I have. This means so many people will never reach the later books of wisdom, the major prophets, and definitely not the minor prophets. I think this is a tragedy because Jesus tells us that all of Scripture points to him, and this is especially true in the book of Zechariah. I'm Charles Morris, and now on this Great Stories podcast, I'm returning to an interview I did more than a decade ago with Old Testament scholar Dr. Ian Dukat. He's currently teaching at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, but when I spoke with him, he was at Grove City College in western Pennsylvania. And I think you're going to find this conversation quite interesting. How can we find Christmas in one of the most overlooked books in all the Bible, the minor prophet Zechariah? As with all the other prophets, he was addressing his words to Israel at that current time. But Zechariah is also rich with passages that point us directly to Jesus on that first Christmas. This conversation is packed with golden nuggets of truth that'll help you prepare your heart for this Christmas. And so, as we move through the weeks of Advent, it's my prayer that you will also anticipate the Messiah with the same longing as that ancient prophet Zechariah. Ian Dugan is the perfect person to help you do just that. So let's get started now. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris, and uh, we have on with us from Grove City College in Grove City, Pennsylvania, the professor of Old Testament and Hebrew, Reverend Ian Dugood, or Dr. Ian Dugood. Ian, welcome to this program, and I think this is the very first time we've ever had you on. That is correct, indeed. But our listeners have heard your thoughts many times, I can assure them, and assure you as well. Uh, you are a scholar, you've written a lot of books. And you've also written the study notes uh, for what was last year's number one book of the year, the ESV Study Bible. And uh, that's why I wanted to have you on. Just tell us a little bit about Zechariah, one of those books that's a little hard for some of us to find in the Old Testament toward the end. Yes, it's, it is one of those books in, in the minor prophets that uh, people tend to get lost in, because when they start reading through the Bible, they start with Genesis. And uh, Genesis is fine, and Exodus is okay, and then they die in Leviticus and Numbers and never get any further than that. So the chances of making it all the way to Zechariah are pretty slim. Mm. But I think the book of Zechariah has a lot to say to people like us, because it's, it's written to people for whom life is hard, grindingly difficult. People who have returned uh, after the exile, after the Jewish people were in exile in Babylon, uh, God brought his people back. And these are the people who've returned, and it's now uh, 20 years on from that. And the euphoria and excitement of those, that first return has worn off, and now people are trying to live with the difficulty of making a living, of surviving, of raising a family in the midst of, of what is often a, a very challenging and trying, uh, trying world. Uh, and that's why I think it communicates so well uh, to us, because for many of us, that's where we live. Uh, we live our lives in, in the midst of uh, a difficult world, surrounded by difficult people, uh, wrestling the fact that we ourselves are difficult people. Mm. Uh, and so I think it addresses many of those uh, issues that we, we wrestle with. So I hear you saying it, it's, it's speaking to us today, 
And I've heard this said before by scholars like yourself, there's the then and, and then there's the not yet. And Zechariah, this prophet, was speaking to people in that day, but he's also speaking in the future. So you're convinced that we can take this and apply this word from the Lord to us today in our context, in, in our lives. Very much so, because a lot of the issues that uh, God's people were wrestling with then uh, are essentially the same issues that we're wrestling with now, which is, uh, yes, God has, has uh, redeemed us. He's done great things for us. Uh, we have wonderful promises. Uh, and yet here we are living our lives in the midst of difficulty, of challenges, uh, of a world that often seems hostile, of things that don't seem to be working out quite the way God promised. Uh, how, do, how do we make sense out of that? How does that all fit together? Uh, and, uh, and, and Zechariah's reminding uh, God's people, well, you can only make sense out of that if you see it in the light of the rest of the story, of what is yet to come, of what God is still going to do, uh, and the great and glorious uh, things that, uh, that we still wait for. Mm, mm. Amen. What do we know about Zechariah? We don't know a great deal about him personally. Uh, we know something uh, about his genealogy, which tells us that he was a priest, uh, he came from the priestly family of Ido, one of the main families who actually returned uh, from the exile. So uh, he came from a prominent family uh, and uh, was, uh, was part of that, uh, that group that returned uh, from Babylon uh, and uh, was uh, very central in uh, the rebuilding uh, of uh, the temple. Uh, he, along with his uh, uh, colleague uh, Haggai, uh, together uh, really led the, the drive uh, to rebuild the, uh, the temple, and, uh, and he saw that uh, as very significant, as a sign of what God would do in, in ultimately redeeming his people. Mm. Let's relate this to Christmas mm. and, uh, and the Messiah, the coming of the Redeemer. You see Jesus in this book, this minor prophet, don't you? Uh, very much so. Well, I, I, I see Jesus throughout the Old Testament yes, because, I know that, you do. Yes. because that's what Jesus told us we should see. Uh, Amen. I mean, on, yes. on the road to Emmaus, when he's talking to those disciples and uh, uh, telling them what the Old Testament is about, he tells them it's about the sufferings of Christ and the glories that will follow. Mm. Uh, and so we should anticipate that being the case. Uh, and uh, uh, it's not hard to see the ways in which uh, the word of the Lord through Zechariah addresses that. Um, addressing of people who are living in great darkness, you know, picking up the language of Isaiah 9 there, <laughs> uh, a people for whom uh, all of the promises of God, uh, you know, how, how, do they, how do they make sense out of the promises of God? Uh, the promise uh, to give them uh, a, a king uh, in the line of David uh, who would reign over them. Well, the, the Davidic monarchy ended at the, uh, when the captivity came, when they were dragged off to Babylon, uh, how do they make sense out of the return? There's no Davidic king now. Uh, how do they make sense out of all of those great promises uh, to David and his son? Um, and, uh, and so dealing with those kinds of issues. Uh, and, and Zechariah, of course, is not inventing this stuff from scratch. He is himself uh, interacting with earlier prophecies, earlier words from God. Uh, and uh, so particularly, uh, you have this figure of, of a branch that he speaks of mm. who is going to come. Uh, and that, uh, that figure uh, directly comes from uh, Jeremiah 23. Mm -hmm. uh, Jeremiah promised that the days are coming where, uh, when the Lord would raise up a righteous branch of David uh, who would come and, and to reign as king over his people. Uh, and that, of course, 
flows in the, in the context of Jeremiah out of the Lord's rejection of the then king of, uh, of Judah, uh, Jehoiakim, who would be cut off and uh, rendered childless, and the line of David would come to a, a screeching halt uh, in, in the person of him. And yet God said, nonetheless, I'm going to do something new. Do you uh, think these prophets knew uh, what the other prophets were writing? I, I mean, standing uh, so many centuries later, I have always mm. had in my mind this idea that, you know, here they were, uh, a prophet in a cave, which of course is not true with most of the prophets, mm. but uh, just writing on his own and the Lord speaking words to him. But th- there was some interaction, I suppose, then. Oh, uh, unquestionably. Um so, for example, uh, the, the prophecy against Jehoiakim, uh, God specifically says, even if Jehoiakim were like a signet ring on my hand, I would tear him off and, uh, and cast him away. Uh, and uh, Zechariah's contemporary Haggai specifically picks up that reference uh, and, and, and turns it around and says, says Zerubbabel, uh, mm-hmm. who is a descendant of David, who's leading the, the drive to build the temple, uh, I will treat you like uh, like a signet ring. You know, he's picking up that explicit image and reversing it. Uh, there's there's no question that the, uh, the prophets knew the writing of the earlier prophets. Zechariah himself uh, makes reference to my servants, the prophets, earlier. Uh, and as a priest, it's his job. I mean, this is what he does. Uh, priests were not only engaged in offering sacrifices; they were involved in teaching the people God's word. And uh, so as a priest, th- this is the stuff that, that Zechariah would have spent his life with. Uh, and uh, so interacting with that and under the influence of God, uh, taking those old prophecies and uh, helping people in his time uh, see what God had to say to them from them. Mm. Let me just share with our listeners uh, Zechariah 3, 8 and a little bit of 9. And, and then just comment on that for us, which, of course, is what you do in your notes, uh, writing these notes of Zechariah in the ESV study Bible, Ian. Uh, Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch, for behold on the stone that I have set before Joshua on a single stone with seven eyes, and then it goes on. You're pulling that out. You're putting it in the context of Isaiah as well as Jeremiah, and you're saying that leads us to the branch, the stump of Jesse. That's got to be relating to Jesus then. Yeah, well, you have this this idea, as you say, going back all the way, certainly to Isaiah 11, even though it's not the same word for branch there, the idea of, of a stump that is cut off and uh, a shoot coming out from, from, from that stump, a new start. Uh, you have that, uh, that background there. Um, and, and in the context of, of uh, Zechariah 3, uh, what you have there is the reclothing of Joshua the high priest. Uh, in his vision, Zechariah sees Joshua the high priest dressed in, in defiled garments, in filthy garments, garments that made it impossible for him to exercise his task as high priest. Uh, and there, uh, Satan, the accuser, standing ready uh, to condemn him and to treat him as being unable to speak on behalf of his people and represent them in the sacrificial uh, system. Uh, and, and God steps in. And mm. before Satan can even open his mouth, mm. uh, the Lord says, the accusation is out of order. Uh, you can't bring a charge against Joshua because I have chosen him. I've snatched him out of the fire. Uh, and the Lord takes away his filthy garments uh, and reclothes him in clean garments and uh, gives him uh, a, a turban, uh, a, a almost royal turban 
to, uh, to crown him with glory uh, as uh, a symbol of uh, the fact that uh, uh, he is acceptable before God. Ian, let's share another passage in just a moment, but I should say if someone just joined us and they're wondering, who is this Scottish man talking on the radio? Uh, This is Haven Today, and uh, we have with us Dr. Ian Dugan. He's coming to us from Grove City College in uh, western Pennsylvania, and we're talking about Zechariah, and uh, Ian is the writer of the notes for the ESV Study Bible and the book of Zechariah. Ian, let's just move forward to chapter 6. Now, here's another pre-Christmas kind of uh, uh, reference, and just comment on this for us. I'll read from Zechariah 6, verse 12, and to say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Uh, And then verse 13, it is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and shall sit and rule on his throne. Now, that's messianic. Is what you're taking it as then? Well, absolutely, and and here too, as in as in Zechariah three, notice the whole point is that something that has just happened in this case, taking the crowns and putting them in the temple, is a sign of something that will happen. It's it's a portent of the future, mm-hmm. uh, and the future is the branch is this coming figure, uh, who will build the real temple. I mean, at this mm. point, the temple in Jerusalem is being rebuilt, and yet the Lord says. Even this physical temple is just a symbol of something greater. You see, the temple was the, uh, the symbol of the presence of God in the midst of his people. Uh, and that, of course, is exactly what we celebrate at Christmas. In Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God has come to live with us, uh, that he has come to dwell in the midst of his people. Uh, and so what the Old Testament temple pointed forward to was exactly what we celebrate at Christmas, which is God coming to live in the midst of his people in the person of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Let me let you just extend a little beyond that as well. You mentioned this when we started today, Ian. You see Jesus in all the scripture. You're an Old Testament Hebrew scholar, but you, you're finding Jesus in, in uh, many places, unlikely places, don't you? They're only, only unlikely if you forget about what the New Testament says about the Old Testament. Help us. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you look at First Peter in terms of what the prophets uh, are talking about. Uh, these uh, uh, holy men who were inspired by God uh, were inspired to show us the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow, uh, it, which is, of course, what Jesus said on the road to Emmaus. My understanding is that as we read the Old Testament, as indeed we read the New Testament, what we see is not just Jesus, but specifically uh, the sufferings of Christ and the glories that follow, the gospel. Uh, the whole of God's word focuses and centers around the gospel. In some ways, Zechariah 3 is, is, is a very beautiful picture of that, because in this presentation of the reclothing of Joshua, you see this representative of God's people who stands before God ready to be condemned because he's clothed in these filthy garments that clearly represent sin, yes. unrighteousness. Yeah. Uh, and Satan has an open and shut case against him. Uh, and this, it appears that there's no way that, that he could possibly be, be freed from condemnation. Uh, and yet the Lord himself steps in and, and rules Satan's case out of order and reclothes Joshua in these glorious clothes uh, that are not his. They're not something he's created. They're given to him, uh, these festival garments that if his, his, his filthy robes depict sin, has to represent the righteousness of another that now comes and clothes him and enables him to stand in God's presence. And we ask, 
how is that possible? How is it possible for Joshua's filthy robes to be taken away and him to be clothed in clean robes? And the answer that the New Testament shows us is that it comes from Jesus Christ making the opposite move. Mm. Uh, the one who by rights uh, was crowned in glory and honor, the one who lived this life of perfect righteousness is treated as Joshua deserved to be treated. Mm. Uh, so he's stripped of his clothing and he's nailed to a cross and he's removed from glory and honor and cast out of the presence of God. So he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In order that we might be clothed in his garments, in order that we, the church, might be clothed with the righteousness of Christ, uh, having it imputed to us, so that we might be able to have access into God's presence, so that now when Satan comes and accuses us of the very real sin that's there, mm. uh, yes. we can uh, refer him to, to the Lord and say, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because my filth has been nailed to the cross with Christ and his righteousness given to me. Mm. And so there, right there in Zechariah 3, you have this beautiful picture of the gospel uh, that prepares God's people ahead of time for what he's going to do. Mm. Ian, can you give us an explanation? Well, perhaps the obvious example is, is Zechariah 9.9, which is quoted in terms of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, when Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, that's a clear fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9, which tells Judah and Jerusalem to look forward to the day when their king will come humble and riding on a donkey. That aspect, I mean, when we, we, we think of people riding on donkeys, I'm not sure we quite understand the significance of it. We tend to think of it as as, a, as what poor people would do. Actually, poor people would walk. Uh, rich people rode on donkeys. Uh, but one thing nobody ever did was go to war on a donkey. Uh, so the image is is more of of, of of a Lexus rather than riding in on the barrel of, of an M1 tank. Uh, and so Jesus comes into Jerusalem, riding into Jerusalem, coming in for peace, which is what he's come to accomplish uh, through his death on the cross, uh, bringing uh, peace between God and man. The irony is that when people see him coming, and they think probably of the preceding verse in Zechariah, where God promises uh, that there will no longer be a, a marauder in, in, in the land, and he will uh, come to protect his, his house, uh, that Jesus comes to protect his house by giving up his own life and uh, being crucified, uh, not by driving the invading Romans into the sea, uh, that he has come to be a king, but not quite the kind of king that so many in his day thought he was going to be. Uh, he's a king who comes uh, by uh, suffering and coming as, as a servant and by giving his life as a ransom for the many, uh, not by establishing some political kingdom. Uh, now there's a day coming when Jesus is going to return not this time riding on a donkey, but riding on a white horse uh, at the head of his armies uh, to bring all things to their consummation. Uh, but uh, on his first coming, he came to seek and to save that which was lost, uh, not yet to bring full and final judgment on all of his enemies. Ian, we've talked about Jesus coming the first time, but there's this future coming of Jesus, isn't there? That's a great question. Zechariah has a lot to say about the future, uh, and some of that is, uh, are things that uh, occur in the New Testament, but some of that is still beyond that. Uh, Zechariah 14 particularly anticipates the, the end of all things, uh, the removal of uh, all enmity and all uh, uh, opposition. Uh, but even before that, even in Zechariah 5, um, one of the key elements there is the removal of sin. 
Uh, and uh, that's that's an area where, where we're, we're very aware of the now and not yetness of our salvation. Uh, because if anyone is in Christ, he's new creation. Uh, the old is gone, the new has come. Uh, we have the Spirit. There's, there's a change that takes place when anybody becomes a Christian. And yet, as you and you well know, and as I certainly know, we continue to wrestle with that sin. We continue uh, to say with Paul, woe is me, who will deliver me from this body of death? And Zechariah reminds us, along with Paul, that the answer is, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. There is an answer that will ultimately take care, not just of the opposition to God in the world, but also to the continuing opposition in our own hearts that uh, forms itself into, into sin. That's something we really look forward to. If somebody can't tell, you were beginning to preach to us there, which I thank you for that. And of course, uh, you you've, you have planted churches uh, in the mm. past uh, in England and uh, California, where we first met, and, uh, and now you're in Pennsylvania at Grove City College. Would you mind leading us in prayer? And I know we have a few listeners that don't yet know Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. So would you mind praying specifically for them as we head into this year's Christmas? Absolutely. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. You are the sovereign God who brings light into the darkness. Uh, We are all by nature darkness, uh, all by nature hard-hearted and dead to you in transgressions and sins. Lord, I pray that by your power and your grace, you would open up uh, dead hearts to hear your gospel, that you would open blind eyes to see your truth, that you would bring light to those who live in the valley of the shadow of death uh, and enable them to come to know you. And for those of us who do know you, we pray that uh, as we head towards Christmas, uh, it will be a time when we uh, recall and remember the wonderful things that you have done for us in Jesus Christ. And when we look forward to the full inheritance, uh, the fulfillment of all of those promises that will, uh, that will be ours when Christ returns, and we will be yours, and we will be yours forever. We look forward to that day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ian Duguid, uh, thank you for leading us in prayer. Thank you for uh, sharing with us and being on Haven today. Thank you very much, Charles. Thank you for joining me today on this episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris. I also want to give a special thanks to Dr. Ian Duguid for letting us in on the powerful messianic prophecies found in the book of Zechariah. This podcast is made possible through the ministry of Haven today. And if you want to hear more conversations like this, just subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, please help us get the word out by leaving a five-star review. You can also go to haventoday.org to sign up for our weekly email and discover additional episodes posted on the blog. And as always, thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris. Charles Morris.